It doesn't seem likely that in any of the next several hundred years, we are likely to fundamentally change whether violence and suffering happen to humans. But the thing that we can stop is the way that that violence and suffering becomes a central location of identity. A Google form come to life, ready to process your requests and surveil your interests. Living on Dakota and Anishinaabe land, currently known as Minneapolis. And I'm Adrian Marie Brown, aficionado of both charcuterie in general and lemon curd in specific, writer of stories and songs, emergent strategist, and pleasure activist, living in the land of the Shikore, Skurure, Tuscarora, and Lumbee peoples. And this is How to Survive the End of the World. Our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. Lemon curd? Yeah, it's like a jam that's got a lemon flavor to it. And you Mm -hmm. put it with meats and cheeses. Mm -hmm. And so this past weekend, I had a little music retreat at my house Mm -hmm. with, with Troy, my collaborator. And at the last retreat, we had... Buckwild charcuterie, just like over the top with like real the brand the brand is Buckwild or like No, it was just Buck like Wild. the situation was Buckwild. <laughs> like it was just like four trays of meat and cheese and bread and everything. Mm. And it was like I was like, Can we recreate this but with sheep and goat's milk cheeses only so it doesn't blow up our bellies and with gluten free mm-hmm crackers Mm -hmm. which we found a good brand of and we were like so happy because we ate an abundant amount of charcuterie and we weren't in pain yeah (laughs) we're like oh bitch and then we made cauliflower pizzas well like artisanal cauliflower pizzas so i I felt almost chef chef like i guess (laughs) it was shepherdless it was shepherdless (laughs) it was sheffle um so, yeah, and um, here we are in our All About Love season dedicated to Bell Hooks, who we adore. Mm-hmm. And last episode, we got into some deep conversations around family that we're actually going to pick up and keep moving into this. And I wanted to give folks, I don't know if it's a trigger warning, but just a tenderness warning mm-hmm. that what we want to talk about today is how we deal with trauma in family and like mm-hmm. how how love can persist inside a family when trauma has happened and mm. sometimes it's ongoing. Um, so I just want you to know that so you can know how you want to, you know, participate in listening or not, or if you want to pause and make sure you're in the right place for it or yeah, this light might a candle be, for yourself. It could be tender. Might be one of those episodes where you don't necessarily want to listen with kids in the room. That too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big time. Good sister. <clears throat> so before we get into all that, how are you today? Well, Mm. how am I today? Mm -hmm. I, you know, Venus is in Libra and I have Venus in Libra in my chart. Remember we found that out? That's right. And so for me, I'm really feeling that the Venus in Libra vibes. Um, Mm. I was 
feeling it all weekend. I've been feeling it all day to day. Just that feeling. I just feel gorgeous. And I feel like I'm noticing how gorgeous things are. And like, I also feel really well rested. And, (sighs) you know, like, I'm just like, serve it up. Serve. Yes. (laughs) Um, I'm feeling really strong in my body right now. Um, Noticing some changes in my um, Aikido practice where I'm like, oh, wow, there's some things I can do that I couldn't do even like a month ago. Mm. Um, So whenever that happens, it feels really cool to just be able to kind of mark my strength growing in time. Not just strength, but also just like my stability and confidence I guess in my and in, in what my body can do because so much of it is mental uh-huh. um and yeah I'm heading into um we're about to have what's known as MEA days here in Minnesota where the kids don't have school Wednesday through Friday it's like the October study break days for kids oh, wow. and I'm about to one of those days I'm taking the kids to a local water park for the entire day oh, and I booked us a cabana inside the water park so we'll have Get like our out. own little like tented space with towels and water bottles and we can order food to the little spot oh, and have some privacy luxury so I know I was like let's just we I was like I can't do like a whole weekend at this place but I can do a cabana for the day yeah. you know yeah. um so yeah that's happening so I'm I'm as Nina Simone said I'm feeling good I love that today sister. how are you I'm proud of you um I'm also feeling really great. Like I... Venus and Libra vibes. The Venus and Libra is banging. So Mm -hmm. I keep having moments where I'll like put on an outfit. First of all, I've been putting on outfits. Like even if I'm just going out for my swim or whatever, I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes, you know what I did? I bought this from Onion and I don't have anywhere to wear it. (laughs) I'm going to wear it to the swim. I'm going to wear it outside today. (laughs) So I've been, I mean, like right now, this thing that I'm wearing right now is just like stunning. It's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But I keep doing this thing where I like get dressed and then I look in the mirror and I'm like, damn, like what? that's what we're doing. Like that's how good we look right now at 43. (laughs) So it's really, I'm just like, I'm 44 now. Didn't you just turn 44? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not good at math. <laughs> you had to tell me. <laughs> now, I'm, now I have to focus on that. But it's even better, actually. I, okay, so I have not adjusted at all, though. I'm like, it's even better. Oh, I just, wait, like, am I right? Am I right? Did you turn 44? Dang. I'm going to look at Instagram. I'm what? just going to see Will what you Will it tell post. me? Does it tell well, you my age? It'll, it'll just, whenever you post it about your birthday, it should say... Oh, right. What you said. 43, 42, 44. I honestly don't know, which is fascinating to me. But I, I do know that I am an age in my 40s. And one of the things I love about that is I look fantastic. I feel fantastic. And like this morning, so I've crossed some threshold... I am 44. Thank yes, you, sister. Yes, 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 yes. Wow. I just had to look up your birthday post. 
I literally think that this is part of being in your 40s. <laughs> I think like, it is. I think it what? is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it might it might be also a function of having so much going on to be excited about. Like, yeah, it's or true. having so much going. Last year, I definitely had to do math to figure out how old I was going to be. Yeah, no, I mean, it's real. And it's also, I think it's like, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, there's also this comparative element. Like, I could also always be like, how old are you? Then I would know how old I was. Right. Um, (laughs) Like, I always have to ask someone else, like, okay, well, I'm this much from you. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so the weekend was This is what 44 looks like. This is what it looks and and feels like. But also, like, you know, the no, again, the beauty of the world and just feeling in love with the world is very at the forefront. And even it's like there's a lot that's happening that's really difficult to deal with in the world. And I see a beauty in the cycle of it all. Like I'm like, ah, like we face these challenges and then we have these uprisings and we resist. And like there's still mm-hmm. there's always, you know, no matter how many humans are doing fuckery, there's always humans who are just out here like experimenting with love and beauty and like raising incredible children. And I got to spend time with one of my newest nibblings last night and Mm -hmm. she is saying dog and woof. And like, it's just all she's saying. She's like, Hodor, you know, she's like dog, dog, woof, woof, woof. (laughs) And I'm just like, right. Cause like you just got this technology of this word. Like, why would you ever say anything else? Yeah. Why would you stop? Um, And I'm in this rhythm right now with my swimming and my eating where a lot of it is just starting to feel like, oh, yeah, like the default, like without thinking about it. This morning I woke up and I was like, OK, and just started getting my bag together to head to swim. And then like this afternoon, I was like kind of like, OK, what do I need to do? And I was like, and I just went in the kitchen, pulled out all the vegetables and started doing like food prep because I was like, yeah, the week will be much better if I have my vegetables all totally. cooked up and ready to go. And mm-hmm. so those feel like really good if I feel like I'm I'm like landing well for the fall, you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm heading into the fall and I made a soup. I made a sage and mushroom soup. And oh, see, I need you to send me these soup recipes because this okay, is a place I where I, I struggle, but I want to be better. Well, and I, I want to share with you that I have become, I'm really into the quickie version of chef behaviors. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I buy the pre-cut vegetables without any shame. There's no shame in my game. Like Mm -hmm. I used to really feel like I must find the whole thing that still has dirt on it or whatever. I'm like, no, no, no. No. That's not who I am. (laughs) So I pull out my Instant Pot. I don't cut. I make, I love recipes where like you're going to blend the whole thing at the end anyway. So you don't even have to really chop it up much. I'm just sort of like, yeah. as long as it fits in the Instant Pot, it's going in that way and it's going to (laughs) cook. It'll be fine. Um, so yeah, I'll send you. I'm like, I I made another a gorgeous like beet carrot turmeric ginger soup the other day, Ooh. and I was just like, yeah, this is what I'm doing for lunch every day, and that's what's up. It's gonna be good. So check in this, and then also I want to let people know. Normally we record earlier in the day, and we're recording in the evening today, um, because of life and schedules, and so I've been drinking my kombucha. So it's gonna be a kombucha good time. Um, <laughs> there's going to be burps aplenty. And it's going to be a kombucha good time by yes. Shepherdless. <laughs> by Shepherdless. <laughs> <laughs> you know, also, well, I won't say anything. I just, I can really recognize that I have been in such a ebullient place for the last several episodes. And did we decide um, that that's how it's pronounced? It's ebullient? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Dang. Now I kind of want to look it up again, but 
It hasn't last time. Last me. time you said ebullient, and we were like, "What? It, we don't know." But ebullient does sound like it's probably more correct. Hold on. Now we're gonna do it again. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite thing that happens when we record. By the way, ebullient. is ebullient. Ebullient. Oh! ebullient. So that's what it is. Is I'm putting a y in there that does not belong. So it's ebullient. 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 Yeah, not ebullient. <laughs> okay, get that George Bush out your mouth. All right, so now I think it's time for our flume of ah, flume of ah. Let's flume away. <laughs> so, flume of ah today. My beloved friend Jesse Maceo Vega Frey, also a um, an incredible meditation teacher oh, and generally just like a hot papa living out in Hawaii. Although I don't think actually a papa of anybody human. Anyway, so yeah, I know <laughs> I was like, Jesse, I'll let him know. Um, he's mine first, <laughs> but anyway, okay, so Jesse Maceo Vega Frey woke me up this morning, um, as my papa with, um, the ocean <laughs> photographer of the year winners for 2022. Um, this incredible, <laughs> Okay, I'm listening. Are we getting funnier? We think we are. Okay. (laughs) Listeners, if you think we're getting funnier, like... Tell us. Fill out the poll. All right. So the Ocean (laughs) Photographer of the Year winners for 2022, there's there's a picture of a surfer who has gotten stuck in a super heavy wave, and it's like... This picture is outstanding. Like it looks, I I can't even understand. It's one of those pictures where it's like, if you didn't tell me what I was looking at, I would not fully understand because it looks like someone flying across like a threshold of the universe. And then there's these gorgeous pictures of octopuses. There's people in the in the ocean. There's a um, a massive sea turtle who's being cut free from from plastic debris. There's just all these gorgeous gorgeous images and I I, so I woke up this morning in awe because I'm just like that's also happening and um I really feel like I'm dosing my awe like dosing myself with awe particularly because there's this um I'm I'm just looking at the pictures as you're talking. Oh, let's put the link in the show notes too so everyone can go look during this because, wow. you know, I keep reading about like all the species that are disappearing and just kind of feeling my climate grief. But then it also helps to look at this stuff and be like, and look at all this gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous life that is persisting and adapting and finding Whoa, a way. And these polar bears. The polar bears all cuddled up with each other. And then the other ones that are like in the house, like, what up, though? So I love this. And there's something about it that's like, it makes me want to, I don't know, it makes me want to cry a little bit. But it's like, it's not just that the pictures exist, right? But it's like, there are humans out there who love the earth this much, right? That they're just like going... Because these pictures are the kind of pictures where it's like you have to like figure out that some phenomena of the universe exist and you have to go and you have to put yourself mm-hmm. in a, in such a way and figure out the way. Like, how can I light this yeah. so that everybody can see these 300 sharks circling above me? And I mean, the risk and the look, all of it. I'm just like someone is loving the earth so much yeah. that they're going and finding out ways to show it to us this way. And I always think that people who are doing this are like, Everybody, look at how beautiful this is. Like, it just feels like such a beautiful act of conservation mm-hmm. and and like camaraderie with the earth. So, 
that's my flume of awe. I love I, that. Yeah. I mean, without without the pictures, without the story, no one can know what needs saving, right? Exactly. So it's beautiful. What about um, you, sister? What's got you in awe? My flume of awe is, once again, my own brain. But this time, it's not... <laughs> <laughs> Such this, time a good it, this time it's not because like wow my brain is so cool it's more like wow how is it that this is possible so what I'm noticing <laughs> is every year winter comes the temperature drops and I experience the same set of feelings and thoughts which are ah, what <laughs> How? Why do I live here? What? Oh, I didn't realize it was going to happen. Or, oh, I don't have a thing. And and every year, yeah, the, it is. the season does change. And it's like my brain. I, and I, but I don't think it's just my brain. No, no. I no. think there's something about, I think it's akin to like the way the human body, the brain of like someone who just gave birth will be like, cool, that was not as bad as it was because look at this gorgeous thing. You know what I think? It's like, I think it must be something like that. But, and I did do some things in preparation for winter coming this year. Like I remembered to like disconnect my outdoor hose and turn off the water and, you know, a few things like that. But I still feel, I still, I guess the thing that I'm most surprised by is the discomfort that I feel as opposed to just like acceptance, acceptance. But maybe the purpose of the discomfort is to like motivate me to complete the rest of the things that I need to do in order to like really be fully ready for the winter. Like there's weather stripping that I need to put on my back door. And maybe if I wasn't feeling so uncomfortable, I wouldn't feel as motivated to do that. But yeah, I just... It's cold outside, babe. It's like deep to me how how quickly the brain will just release information that doesn't feel like maybe immediately required. Yeah. Um, Which I guess is related to the topic of our conversation today since we're going to be talking about trauma. And that has a lot to do... I mean, the brain really governs... The, what trauma does to our brains, right? Yeah. What trauma does to our nervous systems is like so much of it does have to do with what our what our brain will let us remember and what it won't. <laughs> I have a question for you, which is once the initial set of like those reactions happen, is there a way that you settle into like, is, the, is there any part of you that's like, I love this? Like, I love the rituals of, of winter or the... Like, is there any part of winter that you enjoy? <laughs> ah, um, this, is, this is part of what I used to be like, oh, I love four seasons, which I still do. But yeah. I was, you know, I was like, I don't, I can't really get it up for like winter in that winter, way. Winter. You know, like I'm like, I can visit, but mm-hmm. I'm like, there's nothing in me that really enjoys this. Yeah. I mean, there are some things that I used to experience when I lived in the woods that were uh-huh. like, you know, there's like building a fire on a lake. You know, yeah, or cool. or or like creating a fire outside in the middle of winter when it is like ten below, but being able to like stay outside for a really long time, um, those kinds of things can be quite amazing. Um, and of course, we used to have tons of ritual just around like fire 
fire prep in our house because we had to bring in tons of wood in order to heat our house all winter long. And some of that was a real slog, but it also, it, it would come with a big feeling of accomplishment once we felt like we had enough wood to get through the winter or at least to get through the first couple of months of winter. Um, so that was that. And of course in my old home, keeping the fire stoked and going all day long was a big part of my winter ritual. Yeah. Um, so now that I live in the city, I guess this is my fourth winter that I'm heading into in Minneapolis. And wow. yeah, I know it's weird. That's um, amazing. And it'll be my first winter in my new house. So I think a big part of this winter is going to be just like the learning experience of what is winter like here. Yeah. Um, But I do, I would say, I mean, I love, I love um, fall fashions. I love fall. I love fall fashions. I love getting to like pull out my fall jacket, all of my scarves. I love getting to wear leg warmers. Like I, I really love the transition that comes with fall fashion. Yeah. My latest thing is doing crop sweatshirts with big skirts. You know, like. I'm, I'm doing hot. lots of crop sweatshirts with like with um, tight pants. And oh, and you like, do the like high waisted jeans mm-hmm. thing too. Right oh now. God, that. it's such a look. And, I love it for you. And I and I mean, of course, the thing that makes winter in Minnesota manageable is having the right gear. Totally. And so I've done. A, I've invested in having the right gear now for many years. So it's mm. it's more manageable. But no, I mean, the winter here is legitimately awful. Um, like I don't want to, I don't want to put any like, (laughs) I don't want to put a bow on it or anything. It's like, it's bad. It's really, really bad here. Like you can die in the winter here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, that's what, like, I remember when I lived in Detroit, (laughs) Ill, Ill, uh, Invincible, um, you know, has this lyric that's like, if you can't take the winter, you don't deserve summer. And I was like, I can't be in this paradigm any further. Like, I can't. I I want to deserve summer. And I don't. I can't take the winter. So that's that's my truth. And I'm sticking to it. But I, yeah, now it's really beautiful here. Like, to be like, oh, it's fall. The leaves are Mm -hmm. changing. They're falling down. But I can still go sit outside in the afternoons easily and, like, write, you know, with, like, a sweatshirt on. Burp. Sorry. See, there I hear it. Is. <laughs> Kombucha good time, <laughs> Kombucha baby. Good time. Because okay, what I want people to know about this before we get on topic is, I was sick, right? Like I got really, really sick. I had like strep throat, and I had to take antibiotics. Right. And so now I'm rebuilding my gut microbiome with kombucha and yogurt and like all kinds of fermented. Like every single meal, I'm having something fermented, something you know that's supposed to help. It's, it's a party up in there. And yeah. I can feel my gut being like, oh, bitch, new house, who this, mm-hmm. you know? So <laughs> it's it's good. Like, <laughs> So listeners, don't judge. Yeah, so don't, yeah, I could feel it. I was like, people are like, she just comes, she burps, isn't this her job? I'm like, yeah. yes, and, but also. <laughs> All right, so. Let's get into it. Where I wanted to start us off, you ended us with this quote, and I wonder if you could say it again, this question, this set of questions mm-hmm. around trauma and abuse. Would you, yeah, if you start us there, and then we have some bell hooks wisdom. Yes, so the question that I, that we left off with, that I framed up at the end of our last episode is, what do we do when trauma and abuse is present in a family as it is in all families? Mm. How do we navigate trauma within families? 
how can family be a vehicle for healing if it can be? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also right there at the tail end talked about um, wanting to touch in on chosen family as yeah. one of the vehicles that we have for healing um, sometimes alongside family of origin, but sometimes as a way of really rebuilding the notion of family or creating family in a safe place after family of origin has no longer been a safe place. So that's where we left off and that's what we hope to dive back in with today. So, yeah, I want to re-presence, you know, Bell Hooks teaches us that love and abuse cannot coexist, that abuse and neglect are by definition the opposites of nurturance and care. And I feel like that's kind of a grounding quote for this conversation, because I Mm -hmm. think so often we're in families where abuse is tucked under the umbrella of being part of the love or like how care is happening. And it's like, I think that fundamental piece, I remember the first time I read it, it was like a lightning rod, like, oh, Mm -hmm. that really resonates. But Belle also gave us a lot of other wisdom. So do you want to just take turns reading some of these, these pieces? Yeah. I'll go first. Schools for love do not exist. Everyone assumes that we'll be able to love instinctively. Despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary, we still accept that the family is the primary school for love. Those of us who do not learn how to love among family are expected to experience love in romantic relationships. However, this love often eludes us and we spend a lifetime undoing the damage caused by cruelty, neglect, and all matter of lovelessness experienced in our families of origin and in relationships where we simply don't know what to do. Mm. She goes on to say, even individuals who are raised in nuclear families usually experience it as merely a small unit within a larger unit of extended kin. Capitalism and patriarchy together as structures of domination have worked overtime to undermine and destroy the larger unit of extended kin, replacing the family community with a more privatized small autocratic unit helped increase alienation and made abuses of power more possible. It gave absolute rule to the father and secondary rule over children to the mother. By encouraging the segregation of nuclear families from the extended family, women were forced to become more dependent on an individual man and children more dependent on an individual woman. It is this dependency that became and is the breeding ground for abuses of power. Mm. And lastly, she says, for me, forgiveness and passion, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing, and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed. Yeah, so, you know, I love all about love. One of the things I love about the way that Belle moves through that book is that she's really trying to look at these meta systems that we are part of and that we are surviving and how they all are structured together to create what we experience as individualized traumatic spaces right because it's like oh we're all Mm -hmm. all, it's all like everyone's like i'm alone in this familial space feeling this experience thinking it's only happening to me and then 
it's not until you get older and you're able to look back and be like, oh, that's a pattern. Like, so I wanted to name some of the patterns of familial trauma that exist that are like widespread. We might even call them pandemic. We might even call them something that's like commonplace. So there's, I think, a pandemic of child sexual abuse. And there's a lot of data that supports that mm-hmm. there's tons and tons and tons of child sexual abuse happening inside the home. And there's a lot more than we can measure or understand or know about because of the nature of it. One of the steps of child sexual abuse in most cases yeah. is that children are being trained not to speak about it, not to disclose, to hide, to lie, to cover it up. There's also other forms of child abuse including explicitly hitting, harming children, neglect, manipulation of children. Um, There's economic hardship and economic abuse. I think both things can happen there. There's domestic violence. And a lot of times kids may or may not be hit themselves, but they're witnessing um, extreme anger, extreme fighting and extreme physical violence happening between the parents or the adults in the household. And then there's just straight up neglect and abandonment, you know, which I always think of, you know, when people are in this big abortion struggle, I'm like, it's so deep to think about how many people are grow up in situations of neglect and abandonment because their parents were not necessarily on board for the experience of becoming a parent, but there was some social pressure or some Mm. um, sense that they had to go through with this process. So I want to name just those. And I'm sure there's even more. Are there any that you're thinking of, Autumn, that are like not included in that spread? I mean, no, this, that's a really good. um, It's hard, right? It's like, (laughs) yeah. This is a this is a, a very yeah. comprehensive list, is what I was meant to say. Um, I do think, and I think that one of the things that, as you were talking, I I've been reflecting a lot lately on how v- violence is experienced so privately when actually it is yeah. something that happens in everyone's life. And that there's yes. just private violence happening everywhere. I don't know. I, I, it's very rare for me to meet and come to know someone in a lot of depth who hasn't either privately experienced violence in their family of origin or isn't experiencing violence of some kind yeah. in their current family, right? Um, and, and, I love what you said about the the way that these structures collude to make us feel that our experiences yes. are highly individual. And like shamefully so. Like don't talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the language that we use, I think even to talk about the language of trauma and healing also remains highly individual. Yes. And I'm actually attending this course um, next week um, called, I'm really interested, I'm very excited about it. It's led by this teacher named Bayo Okomalafe. Oh my gosh, that's my friend. 
Yay. Yeah, and I saw that you guys just did an event together. Yeah. But I'm 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 attending this event that he's leading called the Wandering Winding Way of the Wound. Yeah, and good. one of the thing that things that he's going to be talking about in the course, as I understand it, is that um has to do with this problem that we have right now in the way trauma is talked about in the field, the way it's discussed as this highly individual experience exactly. as opposed to as opposed to a collective experience and also as opposed to an experience that has a location that necessarily means that the location itself is affected by whatever violence takes place there. Uh-huh. Right. And I think that that, you know, it's, we all have to have our, we need our pathways into healing work in yeah. order to be able to, you know, begin uncovering, giving voice to the experiences that we have, um, do our healing work with those experiences, find our places inside of us where we need to forgive ourselves or forgive others or or surrender pain or move past the pain or whatever. Yeah. And and I think that a lot of, tra- of the trauma healing work that exists currently is is very effective in terms of giving us at least a pathway. Yeah. But... I wonder about this, the hyper individualism of it and the hyper individual, how, how that sits in relationship to this privatization of violence. <laughs> I think I love, I love what you're saying here, Autumn, and because, you know, I think that there's I actually was talking about this with Fanya Davis recently because she was saying that there's so many thinkers who are talking about abolition Right. There's this whole realm of like, oh, abolition and transformative justice and restorative justice and like what's happening there. And then there's the folks who are the big healing, you know, the Gaber Mates and Thomas Hubel. And there's folks mm-hmm. who are doing that work. And I think about, you know, Prentice Hemphill. I think about Stacey Haynes and generative somatics and Spintaconda Wallet and folks like, you know, there's just such a wide range. Right. And from the systemic healing work, which a lot of the transformative justice and abolition work, I think that's what it's trying to attend to. But I also look at like what Tarana Burke is doing with me too. I look at all of this and I'm like, there's these massive experiments at trying to address in a collective way these things that happen to us at an individual level, but that are mm-hmm. patterns of systematic approach, systemic oppression and yeah. really systemic abuse. And I think one of the things that's intriguing to me is even though it's part of a collective pattern, you still have to do a level of work at an individual level and how to normalize that. You know, I think so much of what this past 10, almost 15 years of my life has been about with the somatic journey has been that, has been like, oh, for the sake of the collective, I have to turn and look at my own landscape Mm. of trauma and my own landscape of healing. And Mm. I have to see what is mine. And I have to both go through the experience to heal, right? For the sake of its own, journey for the sake of my own journey, but also because I, the kind of leader and visionary and thinker and contributor to society I want to be is one that is able to speak with some experience about what is possible in terms of healing with family, what is possible in terms of healing with the self, yeah. what is possible in terms of healing with those who have harmed us. And I feel so much that this piece around forgiveness and compassion. Like I think a lot of what happens is people are like, let's jump to that. Like we need it. You just have to forgive. You have to let it go. You have to do that. And it's like, if we do that without having done the hard work of internal transformation that is healing, 
it actually lets the system off easy, I think. And it means that we don't actually get to the collective systemic part (laughs) in a way, right? Because it's like, I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, I can do all my healing. But that doesn't take down patriarchy. Patriarchy only comes down if there's a part of me that's like, it's, it's not about individual forgiveness. It's about a larger systemic actually remembering, unveiling, remembering, being able to name what's actually happened to us. And that's, I think what's maybe the hardest about that and the most tender in this conversation mm-hmm. is that our families are these spaces that we are, we, we grow up thinking like, this is something I'm supposed to protect at all costs. Like, even if people in this family are causing harm, even if this family have done wrong by me, I can't tell people that. And if I, or I, or I can't go back and actually confront the person who caused harm in my life, caused harm when I was a child or allowed harm to happen to me when I was a child. And so it's like the place where the majority of harm actually happens for many of us is the place we are most trained not to speak about it, not to unveil it, not to name it. And one other dynamic I want to name in here is not even that it just happens at an individual level, but culturally people are told a story that it is culturally specific to them. So I meet people regularly who will be like, oh yeah, that's just how it is in this kind of family. And they'll, oh, they'll name yeah. like, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm like, they'll name their, all of their peoples. And it's just like, oh, yep. In our families, every, you know, this, everybody's the molesting is just a part of the thing. We don't talk about it in this kind of family. We keep secrets mm-hmm. in this kind of family. And I'm like, but if you listen hard enough, you hear it from almost every culture. <laughs> There's like right. no culture that's not like that. So even that mm-hmm. level of obs- ob- obfuscation, right, happens yeah. where it's like, wow, we think it's just us. And then we think it's just our people. And we think it's just our families. We think it's just in our community. Instead of recognizing like, actually, our species is in a crisis that comes at the level of harm of our children, Mm-hmm. Right, that we allow mm-hmm. so much harm to happen to our children and inside of our children, and we let them be collateral damage for the things that we haven't processed as adults. And mm-hmm. I mean, I hope that some of the reason that we are doing such great reckoning in this generation and these generations is that we are putting a massive stop sign to the cumulative trauma that has been passed down and passed down and passed down through generations that we're like actually the whole cultural formation of capitalism that led us to create these harmful patterns and cheat children the way we do now stops here with this generation you know i hear i hear a lot of people saying that as well anyway i've been talking for a long time (laughs) what are you thinking Mm, i see you i see you like chewing on 15 thoughts so yeah it's it's as per usual um yeah. I'm thinking about um jumping to forgiveness uh without I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the concept of the of a wound and and what yeah. happens when the wound is overridden. Yes. And um So thinking about, you know, what happens when we are either made to hide a wound or override the fact that it's there, either because we're being told we just have to forgive the person or um, 
or being told no that didn't happen yes um or oh it was it's not what you think it is or you know you know whatever range of things that are told especially to children as a way to silence them um and I think about how when a wound is hidden it means that we can't know it and Mm. But then we're also contorting and shaping ourselves around the wound and around keeping it hidden. That's right. That's right. And so we have this unknowable thing, but it's also ours. Yes. It's ours, but it's unknowable. And then our whole shaping is to keep it hidden, which also keeps it totally central to our lives. Yes. (laughs) Right? (laughs) So so it's the protagonist unseen. It's... Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I've been thinking about how, so I'm a survivor of child sexual assault, but I had a really different trajectory yes. around my experience, I think, than most people did. Yeah. Most people I know who are also CSA survivors. And and that's because I was believed yes. by my parents. Yeah. And my parents took action on the information that they had gotten from me. Yeah. And that has meant in my life, it's not that I haven't had to return to the wound over and over and over again. Yes. But I've always known that the wound was there. Yeah. I've always known that it was a wound. Yes. You know, like I I I had the I had the fortune in my trajectory around this of knowing immediately that it was wrong yeah and knowing because the my adult caregivers in my life affirmed that was wrong, wrong yeah. we're gonna do something about it even if you know and, and it's not like the actions that they took were able to it's not like the perpetrator was apprehended or anything yeah. like yeah you know right. it played out exactly the way it fucking plays out like there was no consequences for that person yeah but the there was also a different kind of it it left a different legacy inside of me because I never had to live with any sense that um, maybe I made that up. Yeah. Maybe maybe it's not real. Maybe I attracted it. Maybe it's my fault. You know, I, I right. never had to. I had never had to go through those stories. I was able. I've always been able to kind of. Um, as I grow older and older, I'm able to continue metabolizing the inf- the experience. Yeah. And so it feels like it's a part of me, but it's not central to my life in the way that a hidden wound would be. And I think that that, to me, feels like the thing that you were just saying about the stop sign. Yes, exactly. It's like... It's like, to me, it's like the stop sign is not, we're going to stop this harm. Yeah. Because harm, the harm will happen. There will always be assault. There will always be violence. There will, I mean, I do believe this. I, you know, maybe I'm being cynical, but I really do believe like violence and suffering. It's part of the human experience. Mm. It doesn't seem likely that in any of the next several hundred years, we are likely to fundamentally change whether violence and suffering happen to humans. But the thing that we can stop is the way that that violence and suffering becomes a central location of identity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through hiding it and through being unable, unable to witness it, unable to bear witness, unable to metabolize it, unable to digest it because we're all... 
Because I think you're right that, that maintaining the pretense, it serves only one purpose. It only serves the purpose of, of power maintenance. That's right. Right? Rather than, like, you know, a more intact human society would be able to say, oh, this person did violence. We're going to do something about that violence. It's our job to go do something about it. Now we're all going to use our agency and choice and power to run up on that person and beat them up or whatever, like, (laughs) you know, or, or maybe we send them off for a while by themselves or like whatever, whatever we would have done as a more intact society where we would have given a consequence collectively because we would have understood that that was our job. Instead, it's like, oh, we serve these power systems by doing nothing Mm -hmm. because it's the power system's role. Exactly. To punish, to, to distribute punishment equally, apparently, across all of us. <laughs> yes. I mean, really, I really appreciate this so much because I think there is this, you know, development of like outsourcing of pun- punishment and consequence, right? That's like someone else will handle the punishment and consequence, but we don't want that something else to come down on our families, you know? So I, I, I have dealt with and been around and and spent significant time with and processed so much trauma with so many people. And Mm -hmm. one of the most common aspects of it is I was between a rock and a hard place. I was between the rock of the trauma that was happening and the hard place of knowing that, the consequences to my family, if it was known, if it was shared, if it oh. was told, would mean my family was split up, would mean someone would go to prison, would mean some mm-hmm. kind of, you know, and, and when you're a kid, I think the punishment is like, I don't know, it's something unbelievably bad and and <laughs> yeah. I can't engage in that. And yeah. um, so I think there's, I think that that piece, it's like whatever those systems are is really intact. And I want to uplift here, um, two groups that do work around this one there there's a group generation five that specifically came around doing somatic work around child sexual abuse and one Mm -hmm. of the things i felt was so inspiring about that work was that they created a five generation plan of what it would take to eliminate child sexual abuse from being a common problem Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and it was like we're in the generation that's like first breaking the cycles, breaking open, shedding light, telling stories. But it's like it would take four more generations of new practices, interventions, consequences, finding something other than punishment, you know, really understanding that most of the time the people who are causing these harmful um, circumstances within families or with, you know, two children are people who had this done to them. Right. So we're we're in this like very long journey and it totally makes sense. You know, it's like, yes, humans are are violent and there's so much going on. And mm-hmm. I think there is something fundamental, you know, I keep coming back to like what would change in the entire world if this was not the beginning story for the majority of people? That there was mm-hmm. a wound that they had to hide that was part of their identity and part of their shaping and that they had to battle and process in solitude until they figured out therapy or never figured it out or something else. And I feel like, you know, whereas you're someone who's like, oh, I had this story and it was known and received. I feel like the other way where I'm like, I am shaped around um, 
child sexual abuse, child abuse, something that I can't remember fully, right? Yeah. So I have all the shaping, all the accoutrement, all the bells and whistles. Every time I've gone to therapy, hypnotherapy, all the things, they're like, oh yeah, like everything you're describing is the behavior of someone who experienced this. But I don't have the accompanying memory to be like, it was this. Or that's not true anymore. I now have three things, three instances of things that are like, oh, this happened, this happened, um, there was an incident when I was 13 with a doctor who I went in with a kidney stone and was, they were like, we're, they put me through a forced pap smear experience. Um, and like, there's stuff like that, that like at the time I didn't understand like how to process this. Um, but now I'm like, oh, that was one of these experiences of an immense violation, systemically supported violation. Um, yeah. but so there's things like that, you know, that, piecing together from the sort of detritus of memory of childhood, right? Yeah. But I know a lot of people also like that who are like, oh yeah, you're getting to your 40s and you're beginning to access memories from your childhood and trying to figure out like what happened. So one of the things I want to talk about is once we recognize, if we can acknowledge like, okay, so this is a pattern that is happening so widely, what what it means is that we assume that family, like Bell Hook said, is going to be this site where we learn to love and we learn belonging and we learn how to communicate and how to process through conflict and all this other stuff. But what mm. we actually have in place is a practice where there's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of unskillful <laughs> managing through conflict that can lead yeah. to abuse, that can lead to neglect, that can lead to, um, you know, serious patterns of trauma, if that's what we have instead. And then we go out into the world and it's like, okay, with, with that experience at my back, I'm supposed to figure out how to be a good coworker, how to be a good romantic partner, how to be a good friend, how to be a good member of society. And it all doesn't work, right? Because we're all walking wounded. And I feel like there's something, there's a huge opportunity as we start to really look at ourselves and be like, in, if we don't move towards the fragility of that, right? If we're not like, there's so many wounds, it's overwhelming wounds. Instead, it's like, actually, there's so many shared stories. There's so much shared experience here. There's a way that we can look at these systems and say, these are impacting all of us. What are we all going to do about it? How are we going to unveil and change our practices? Mm -hmm. I then think we can return to family as a site of new practice, right? That it's like, if we all recognize, actually, that's a common space of harm, what can that become a common space of new practice? And mm. that, I think, is both, can we return to blood family and what is possible in that space? Like, why are we given the structure of family? Why are humans all, you know, since the beginning of human experience, have structured ourselves in family? There's something there that we can learn from. But then also chosen family. That it's like, how do I create a space of belonging that is actually a space of safety and a space where we can handle conflict and we can recover from harm. We can recover from our wounds. I love that. I was listening to, um, I was listening to, there's a podcast that I follow um, for people who are like recovering from, um, from, uh, yeah, I was like, okay, I, I, I actually can't, I can't say what exactly. it is. Exactly. What the, I can't say what it is. 
Um, uh, <laughs> oh, sister. Um, that, that it's okay. It's, it's okay. I, I do still want to say what it is that I wrote down, but okay, this is good, just another good. really great example of what, like how <laughs> trauma moves, how, and how this is actually a perfect example of I know, what it is like, I'm about to talk it. about. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, so the quote is, I was, it was listening to, it was a conversation amongst a group of survivors and mm. One of the women, I think she was quoting someone else. I don't know where this quote comes from, but she said, pain travels through families until someone is willing to feel it. Yes. And I was like, damn, writing that down. <laughs> and and I feel like um, I think about this all the time in terms of my relationship with my children yeah. that um, and the same the same person on this on this episode of the show, she was talking about um, rebuilding her family in the wake of divorce and trying to recreate like new conditions with her children. Mm. And that and she was saying it was so beautiful and so simple. But she was like, we are going to learn how to communicate and we are going to learn how to feel our feelings and we are going to learn how to be angry. And, you know, she was you know, she was talking about these commitments that she had made to herself and to her kids yes. to break to sort of break the cycle of silence and dissociation that had kept her inside the situation that she had been in for so long. And I think about, if we're thinking about family, um, if we're thinking about like immediate family, whether we think of that as blood family or chosen family or sort of like, I, I think about it also as just like caregiving relationships that we're in. yes. So maybe that whole sort of picture. I I think one of the ways that family can be a vehicle for healing is if we use that structure as a space in which to intentionally practice feeling pain. Yes. You know, that and having it be just a, a place where we say, I see that you're in pain if someone's in pain. <laughs> That we we honor yeah. that someone is in, else is in pain without trying to lessen what's happening, um, and in theory, you know, our family spaces can be the places where people are more able, more readily able to recognize that we are in pain because they might share some of the same. Um, beliefs, shapings, or experiences that would result in the same types of conditions feeling painful. Now, it's not always the case, but it's like, you know, you and I are very, very different as people, but we have enough of the same shaping that if I text you and I'm like, so-and-so just said blah, blah, blah. Yes. You will know exactly why I'm in pain. Yes. You'll know that I'm in pain even before I will. I'll be like, I'm fucking angry. And you'll be like, I bet you're hurting. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's like yeah, that sounds so painful. to, to <laughs> yeah. me to exactly to me it's like family it goes back to the whole thing about like you can't work you can't heal the wound that you can't recognize yes family can be a place in which our wounds are seen sooner yeah 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, something else that's coming up for me, sister, is like in the last episode, or maybe it was in the sustaining love one, there's one where you were like, you know, forgiveness cannot always rely on the other person. It's like there's something in you mm-hmm. that's happening. And that really stuck with me, you know, because I, I feel it theoretically, I'm like, yeah, got it. But like in practice, I'm always like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always like, no, there's a perfect apology that I need. No, there's like some closure. No, there's like a a, a taking account for. And You're I think- Such in- a Virgo, the Virgo thought. <laughs> I'm like, well, where is the actual <laughs> process? Um, but Where is the actual <laughs> spreadsheet? Exactly. I was like, you did cross the I's, but the T's, however. Um, anyway, so- uh, <laughs> I there's a part of me that's just like, oh no, there's an accounting, there's an accounting. And and yet I feel like family has been the place where I have learned to be like, I want to be witnessed in my pain. I want people to understand like this is happening. And I want to be able to say like, I'm actually not holding this against you. You know, like I look at, I look yeah. at my, I look at our parents and I'm just like, you all grew up in a time where these systems were even more solidly in place. There were less people asking questions about these systems, less people interrogating and putting cracks into the foundation of these systems. Like these systems basically had an even stronger hold on you. And then your parents, the you know, our grandparents, the system had an even stronger hold on you and so mm. and so forth. I'm like, when I say, you know, lately I've been saying I feel like one of the freest people to ever live, what I mean is like, I've come the furthest out of these interlocking systems that are trying to keep my soul in a traumatized and powerless place. I feel mm-hmm. like I am looking back at my family lines with a lot of compassion because I'm like, you were raised to be exactly this way. And yeah. when I look at it that way, then I'm interested in like, what steps did you take away from that path? Because the steps that you took away from that path allowed then our, our grandparents to take steps away from that path and our parents to take steps further. And then for mm-hmm. us to actually not just take a step off the path, but like break through a fence and be like, there's a whole other landscape over here, right? Um, it's called pussy. Oh, <laughs> Hold on, I have to die and be reborn. <laughs> Like that's not exactly where you were going, but it's not. It's not unrelated. Not where I was going, <laughs> because, but it's 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 I guess a little less subtle um, yeah. than the way I was I was aiming to discuss things. Um, and that is what we mean by like we're from the same family, but yes. so different. Um, so- <laughs> I just want people to know that <laughs> this is how Autumn has been since she was a kid. <laughs> She's That's like, so what is the most explicit way we can talk about this? Um, so so <laughs> in our family, right, I remember there being a moment of sitting down with our parents and being like, this kind of harm happened to us. And our parents, instead of shutting that down, which I think is is maybe what would have happened generations before on both mm-hmm. sides in different ways and had happened years and generations of secrecy and and just you know don't talk about it take it to the lord in prayer or whatever but don't deal with it right (laughs) Mm -hmm. instead there was a okay we believe you we wish you had told us sooner we're here now 
you know, there, I think there was that like, is this why you're gay <laughs> um, moment? But we were able to also process through some of that. Mm-hmm. Right. And it changed the relationships of our whole family. Right. There was an adulting that was able to happen. And I think that's mm-hmm. one of the strategies actually with family and like love and healing from trauma is being like, how much adulting can this family actually handle? And mm-hmm. can I be present with my family being exactly as they are, where they are in different strategies, right? So mm-hmm. if if my strategy is like, let's go straight at this or let's go gently at this and yours is let's go straight at this, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and Don't get it twisted. Mine is like, well, how can we <laughs> compassionately sit in a circle? Um, but, you know, it's like, and that doesn't mean that everyone's ready to talk about everything that's happened. And that doesn't mean everyone's ready to process everything um, or not process it directly. Like right. there's also stuff, right. you know, there's there's homophobia and transphobia and other things that happen in, in extended familial spaces that I'm like, I, there's a lot of that that I'm like, I am actually not going to go directly into that fray and into that fight. Like there's... That's not, this is where the flocking piece comes in, right? Where I'm like, Mm. my job is to support those who are in direct contact (laughs) with that behavior inside of our family structures, right? Mm. And I think about that often. I'm like, okay, I'm going to support my mom to go process with some of that. I'm going to support my dad to go process with some of that. But that's not my direct relationship or that's not my direct piece right. to hold. And I don't need it to be my direct and I don't relationship need it to in, be. in order to be connected to the broader family. Exactly. Right. Like I really think mm-hmm. that there's a, just because we're the ones who are willing to talk about it doesn't mean that we have to take on the full weight of all the trauma of the family and all the processing that needs to be done. I do think yeah. that there's a way of being like, here's what I can do and here's the next step of what I can do and the next step of what I can do. And I see people, and I want to offer so much respect to this, who are like, actually, boundaries are the healthiest, safest practice I can be in with my mm-hmm. family, given both the trauma and their willingness or unwillingness to actually turn and face and be with the pain. And sometimes a long boundary is what leads to some different possibility, right? True. You know, my favorite boundary quote is is from Prentice around boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and myself simultaneously. And Prentice writes about how that came out of a 10 year period of being not in contact with, with their dad. Right. Yeah. It was like, that's yeah. what I actually need. And I see a lot of people making that choice right now. That's like, this is love too. Right. Yeah. This is love too. Um, because it, it does change things if you're able to go and spend your time in therapy and spend your time in somatics and spend your time really right. processing through that trauma. You know, when I come to people now, I'm like, again, I'm not holding this on you. I recognize now all the systems that supported the harm that's happened to me and I've done the work I need to do around it. And if there is something I need from you, I can make that request really clearly, right? I'm like, I need you to apologize <laughs> for this yeah. and until you can apologize for it you know, there's going to be a a block here. And I can be like, and here's Mia Mingus's guide to how to give a good apology. So, (laughs) you know, marinate on it. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Um, What's on your mind? I see you. I want to, I want to connect this gracefully, but it might come out ungracefully, but Mm. um, there is something about, 
when trauma, our trauma can become a place of absolute obsession. Yes, and, yes, I know. You know, even if even in a situation like the one you're describing, where it's like you know that something happened, but you can't totally remember it. Yes, and I have that too. You know, I have the one that I remember, yes. and then I have an earlier one where I know that it happened, but I don't. Yes, my my brain was like, you definitely don't need to remember this. Not yet, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, not yet. It's it's. We'll see what happens when I'm 44. But um. But, <laughs> but, but it's like whether you can remember it or not, it can yeah. become a point of real obsession. Yes. And I think when, you, when I hear you saying being able to approach people and honestly say, I'm not holding this yeah. against you or over you, to me that speaks to a reorganization of your life so that your trauma is not the like obsessive um, location of your truest self. And to me, that feels like so important (laughs) to healing from trauma is understanding and sometimes it just starts with an understanding, just knowing that that what makes this what makes this trauma is that my whole life is organized around it. And in order for me to heal from it, I will have to reorganize my life mm-hmm. so that this thing that happened to me is not the central story of who I am right. any longer. Right. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that it was, right? Yeah. Or that for those of us who are still in those places, because yes. we all, I mean, you know, we were talking about this in one of our previous episodes of the the tendency for humans to be kind of wrapped up in the drama of our lives. And so Absolutely. we do have a tendency to sort of need a dramatic story around which we're organizing our sense of self. Oh, but, sister, I've read that mm-hmm. book that you recommended, the Already Free book. That shit is dope. It was so dope. But that particular aspect of it that's like that, again, tied into capitalism is that we're trained to problematize our lives so that there can constantly be a seeking of solution, often the solution that we need to pay for, often putting us outside of ourselves or decentering ourselves. Yes. 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 And that we are problematic people and other people are also problematic. Yes. Yeah. Whew, Honey, shit is so deep. That's that so was deep. it was so liberating to be like, oh, it's really, I am not really, a wound, and these other people are not just a a, a, right. a weapon. <laughs> oh, and and what's deep about yeah. that, right? This is like next level, like three hundred two forgiveness, is to realize then if I am not going to organize my identity and life around the wound, yes then I also have to recognize that freedom for another person, freedom for the person who caused this wound in me, yes. might be to not have their identity organized around being the perpetrator. Yes. Right? Yeah. Which is so hard for us right now to even imagine that reality, right? Yeah. <laughs> to- well, especially because it's like on the other side of some accountability. You know, like I think about this all the time that I'm like, I have caused some harm in my life. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I have done some things. And there's something that happens when you're like, and I've been accountable and I've Mm -hmm. been accountable and I've processed 
what happened. I've processed it with the other person or other people involved in the situation. I've been able to apologize. I've been able to take my, I'd be like, this is what I learned, you know, from doing mm-hmm. that. It won't happen again, et cetera. And, you know, there's definitely some levels of perpetration that I don't know the experience of for sure. But there's something about being able to be like, I've gone through the cycle. And so I'm not going to sit and be like, that thing I did back in the third grade is my, who I am forever. Right. And Mm -hmm. I really think that there, I don't, I think we're still generations from being able to be in that practice. But I think having that on the horizon is really helpful that eventually we want to get to a place where the way justice works is it's actually rare for a lot of this kind of perpetration to even happen. And then when it does happen, it's very available and very commonplace and very practical that people are like, oh, and I know how to do accountability around this. And I know once that accountability has happened that it's not a part of my identity and it doesn't have to be a part of, you know, it's like no one has to sit and carry it forever because we're like the wound is able to heal. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge, sister. Mm. I love you. I love you too. I love you. And where we're sitting in all of this right now, you know, I was feeling really emotional last episode when we were talking about this with family because I really think that we're in this place where there's a path that feels easier that is just like leave the family behind or just make a new family. And there's almost a utopian orientation towards chosen family. That's just like, I'm just going to create a whole nother place. And somehow I'll know how to be a different person in that place. And I think we don't realize that every family we create, every family we construct, the kind of people we're attracted to, the kind of people we move towards are all shaped back at the space of that wound if it's not healed and we carry it and we carry the shaping and the behaviors with us everywhere we go so for the future to be anything different from what it is now whether it's with our blood family or our chosen family or ding 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 both and (laughs) every space we are we have to be in an intentional practice of saying i can turn and look at the wound and I'm ready to heal. You know, and I think of Tony right. Cade Bambara, are you ready to be well? Like, mm-hmm. are we ready to be well? You know, are we yeah. ready to be well? And I think knowing that's a that question. To, yeah. mm-hmm. And knowing that to be well, we have to be able to feel pain. There's no exactly. way to get well without feeling the pain. And being, you know, I think of this too as being with what is, right? It's like what is includes the pain. It includes the truth and it includes, you know, being able to decide how serious and not serious we want to be inside of that. You know, like mm. I want to say, too, that there's aspects, you know, of patriarchy for, per se in our family where now I feel like I'm able to laugh and we're able to laugh yeah, collectively about totally. it because it's like, have we perfectly unlearned this as a whole familial practice? No. Right. Have we named it and shown a light on it and made it so that it's like when we when this shows up, we are all like, hey, that's that. And now mm-hmm. it's something we can like make jokes about, you know, I yeah. like I feel like even mm-hmm. that is like, OK, that's a step away from it being like the 
it's no longer the dominant force. It doesn't feel like a dominant force in our family anymore, which is totally. amazing, right? It's pretty um, incredible. I feel like we've really shifted a lot of our relationship to capitalism as a family, right? It's not absent. We don't live outside of utopia outside of it by any means. But I do feel like in terms of being in much more explicit practices of what does it mean to be in a family <laughs> with resources? How do we share those with each other? How do we talk to each other about what we're doing with them? There's not mm. that you know, the power of secrecy, right? Yeah. That also plays out, I think, as an economic abuse inside of a lot of families. So Ooh. there's there's a lot of these things that's like, if we can just be with what is and talk about what is, so mm. much more becomes possible. And, and actually, I want to just thank you, sister, because before mm. we move on, because, I mean, we laugh about it, but like, you really are an alien from outer space in this regard. Like, you showed up <laughs> in our family with just... A willingness to, it's like you were born with a flashlight in one hand. <laughs> like, you know, you're just like, where is the shadow? Let's go straight there. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> and I really like <laughs> love that. I feel like I learned so much from that. You know, I think if you were not my sister, um, I think April and I probably would have been much more like, let's go along and behave and you know, be well behaved and like, um, please our, please our parents, you know, like that was the orientation. And then you showed up like burp, fart, hair, yeah. you know, just <laughs> different. <laughs> um, I'm going to spill something every day. You unapologetically, unapologetic spilling of something, <laughs> including the truth. And it's such yeah, a gift thank you you. Know, to be with you and then to watch you become an adult <laughs> who now is raising a family where like, you have children who are like very um, coherent with telling the truth of how they're feeling and what's happening with them. And good God, <laughs> you know, for better, for better, um, for better. For better. <laughs> I appreciate that reflection. I appreciate yeah. that reflection. And I, um, I do think, I mean, obviously I can't take credit for being the way that I am because this is just how I am You're like God but, made me bitch and God you know, did it God made me like this I mean I do I look at my you've seen my chart my birth chart my natal chart and yes. I look at my chart and I'm like that explains a lot so of like wow like there's some really weird signatures in my chart that are kind of like I think kind of you know let me know yes. that like that there's a reason why I am this way and it does have to do with like, you know, my life's purpose, Absolutely. right? And so I think that, that, you know, the sort of seeking, the looking for the shadow, looking for the truth, looking for what's hidden, wanting to reveal it, but also, you know, the thing that you and I laugh about all the time of like just the fact that I just don't humiliate very easily. I had this really funny moment with like <laughs> a... If at all, yeah. I had this funny. I was trying to explain this to someone recently who was kind of like low key making fun of me, and I was like, "Oh, are you making fun of me?" Because just so you know, like that is like it basically goes over my head. Like I don't, I don't really register, or it takes me a minute to like register if someone is like trying to kind of like get get under my skin. Yeah, and it was all good. It was fine, but it was it was just it's like, yeah, it's just a weird, uh. But it's a weird thing that I've always felt is weird. But now, 
uh, the older I get, the more I do understand that it's like one of my superpowers. Oh, it's such a you superpower. Know? And yeah. I mean, I think even that the cluelessness about being teased or the cluelessness, you know, like there's one thing I think that maybe is a family superpower that we have is there's a way that we're just there's an earnestness to yeah. how we all go about life that is just like, you know, the way it kind of lands. I'm like, if you're trying to hate on me, that's a reflection of you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not really going to land here because I'm I'm busy shining a light I'm on some other things. Glowing, glowing with God's light. I'm, I'm literally you, glowing with God's light. I'm like, I am a divine being in whatever. Um, I'm like, you think you hate me, but you're my future best friend. Exactly. So. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to be your friend. But everybody has their different approaches. <laughs> and I'm just sort of like, oh. I'm just such a Sagittarius. I'm you like, are such a Sagittarius. Ooh. Mine is always like, I'm like, oh, you don't like me. And by the time you do like me, I'll be gone, you know? Um, but it's all good because there's so many humans in the world <laughs> and you'll find another. Um, <laughs> a close approximation. So um, one thing I will say also is I know in our family, we also use laughter to help move us up and out sometimes of like the depth. And so if you're still like, hold on, that was a lot just now. I want to encourage you to like take time to journal for yourself around like, is there an edge for me with my family, either blood or chosen family? That Mm. is there a place where there's a question I could ask? Is there a request I have? Is there something I need witnessed? Is there an apology I need? Like what would help my family space to feel like a place of healing, right? What would actually, you know, what would help move some of this trauma along? And you don't have to do it on your own. There are so many kinds of therapists in the world um, there's incredible talk therapy. There's stuff like talk space where if you're like, I don't quite know how to dip my toe into this, you can like chat and text your thoughts to someone, you know, at your own leisure. Mm. That's an option. You can get a therapist. You can get a somatic therapist. Both of us work with somatic therapists who help us mm-hmm. to find where trauma might be down in the tissue, down in the bones, down in the memory of the body. Um, yeah. So just know that there's a lot of options available for you if this is a journey that you're ready to begin. And then the organizations we mentioned here, um, I think we've also talked about mirror memoirs. Um, and there's just... We didn't talk about it today, but we've talked about them on the show before. Yeah. So yeah, another amazing resource for people who are survivors of child sexual abuse, particularly... Um, I mean, they they deal with all different kinds of child sexual abuse, but there's a lot of folks in their network who experience sexual abuse within their families. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. just you know, one of the one of the most important things about the time that we're living in is we have more resources than there have ever been before to support the healing journeys that we need to take around mm-hmm. all the systemic oppression that shows up at the level of the individual. So, we love y'all, and we want you to get that healing, mm-hmm. and. Also, top culture really helps. <laughs> like, top culture top does culture really, really help. helps. And what's great is like both of our top cultures, I think, deal with family trauma. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, girl, tell me about yours. I'm so excited. Um, well, I, I don't know if you've read it yet. No. You sent it to me, but you haven't gotten to it yet. Right? No. So I'm rereading okay. everything. Okay. So Saga, volume 10, 
Saga is this incredible graphic novel series that Adrian and I are both huge fans of. We talked about it. We talked about it a couple of episodes ago, I think. Adrian got me volume 10 of Saga um, as a way of helping me deal with a moment in my life that was hard. Yes. And um, so I'm not going to say, I just won't say anything about this volume because you haven't read it yet and I just want you to fully experience it, but it is... So beautiful. It's just so beautiful. It's everything. It's just everything just keeps unfolding. And one of the things that uh, this whole series does really beautifully Mm. is um, it. And I think probably the, the one of the central narrative devices of Saga as a series is how many ways can you make family? Exactly. And like, and what is the role of the people that you invite into your family? And there's so much in this series that's about, you know, where you have this, this doesn't give anything away for Adrian's sake, but you have this core unit of, of family of, um, two people who are members of different quote unquote species, one of whom is from the planet landfall, the other of whom is from the moon reef. It's all made up, obviously. Um as far as we and know. the land the landfallians have wings. The the people who live on reef, the moon, have horns. They've been at war for centuries. The landfallian and Reether meet the Reether is like a prisoner of war. She's his guard. And they fall in love with each other. They run off together. They have sex. They have a baby. And the baby has horns and wings. Oh, my goodness. So chaos ensues as everyone is working together across the universe to try to find them yeah. and kill them. But then they keep collecting these people who want to protect them mm-hmm. and who want to roll with them, some of whom were sent to kill them and then decided they want to like help protect them. One of whom is and a ghost babysitter. One of them is a ghost babysitter, one of whom is like a robot who's like a member of a royal family on a whole different planet. Oh, right. Prince, <laughs> Prince Robot. Um, it's like, anyway, it's yeah. so incredible. There's lots of sex, lots of violence. There's lots of really, really hot characters, some of whom are like mm. spider humans. Anyway. That's what I was thinking. Lot, I was like, they're so hot. It's like this spider who's so hot. Um, <laughs> so anyway, it's so good. It's yeah. so good and definitely has plenty of family trauma drama for anyone who's looking for that intersection. Oh, sister, I'm so glad mm-hmm. that that landed well. And thank you so much for sending <laughs> it to me. I, I didn't have your patience, so I didn't read. <laughs> what I did was I read everything in what is like book three. Yeah. So it has like not, it's probably. It's like seven, volumes, eight, nine in it. Seven, eight, nine in okay. it. I read that so that I could recontextualize myself for volume 10, but I didn't have the patience to go all the way back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's actually deep to be like, oh, this is taking longer than I thought, but I'm enjoying it. So, I mean, like, that's, you know, for me, whenever I can reread or revisit something and be like this, because I have no memory, I'm like, what? This is so amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is still, you know, I've waited long enough that this is still so great. And I want to uplift one particular character of Lion Cat, who every time Lion Cat is a part of the storyline. I am crying. So it's like oh. a, a cat who can say lying, like and can sense lying. And there's a particular scene that like every time I read it, it just breaks me open with this little girl who's experienced abuse cuddling with the cat. 
and talking about herself. Like, my name is Sophie and I'm six years old and I like this and I do this. And then she's like, and you know, I'm I'm a naughty person who makes people harm me. And the cat is just goes lying. And they just hug. And every time and then she just cuddles, she just cuddles the cat and it's just like, Everyone needs a lion cat, and it's mm-hmm. just so beautiful. But it, it's I I love that series because it's just like, how do you learn the story of who you are? Yeah, <laughs> how do you? Learn and the it story deals really directly with like sexual trauma exactly. and abuse and exactly. all the things. Yeah. Um. So speaking of all those things, I've been watching mm-hmm. House of Dragons, and um, so it's called House of the Dragon. By the House way, House of the. Dra- Thank you. I I just I, <laughs> so this is like me trying to hybrid between like. On the internet, we call it Dim Dragons, and Dim we get Dragons. on Twitter every Sunday, and we talk about the um, the festival <laughs> of abomination that is the show. So I I Oof. I have to say I was resistant, of course, because you know I'm like I love Game of Thrones, and this doesn't have it's not those people, and so like what is this, you know? Yeah, but. <laughs> But, you know, I'm like, and they're doing this weird thing, which is very hard for me, which is they're covering a lot of time in Mm -hmm. the storyline, which means that, like, you'll come back to the story and they're, like, totally different actors because they've aged. And I'm like, I fucking, I hate this. I understand why you're doing it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I feel like it's one of these things that I'm, like, hate watching with a lot of enjoyment. So... Um, like every episode, I'm like, what? Ew. Oh my God. No. no. Oh, you know, but I can't look away. And mm-hmm. something about the fantasy and the collectivism of it is making it just a really incredible watching experience. And totally. the dragons are really, I mean, like this, the last episode that I just watched, there was a scene where a dragon enters the scene and I was screaming at my television. It was Dracorus! fucking chorus! Burn them, people! And I was so cathartic for me to just... And you're like, well, why I, do I want all of these peasants to die? Well, <laughs> actually, it wasn't the peasants. I wanted them to burn up everybody who was on oh, the Oh, everyone on dais. the dais. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Is it dais? Mm-hmm. Okay, anyway, so yes. I love that I there's that's so that many words way. that like I only know as a writer and not as a sayer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but why has, would you know Deus? Yes, I'm like Deus, Dias. Di- Who says that out loud? No, I don't know why I did. I don't know why I did. Well, that I'm embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> the thing they were standing on—that's how I usually deal with stuff like this. Um, I wanted all those people, the the royalty. I was like, burn them all, yes, even though all. you know I know that that's not how it all goes. But anyway. It's really satisfying in a disgusting way. And yes. I find that a really unique, strange. It feels like a like this is the kind of entertainment that feels like I don't know if this would have ever worked before in history. And I don't know if it's going to work like in like three more years of all yeah. the kind of healing of systemic oppression work that we're doing and like storyline control. I don't know that you're going to be able to do something that's this just like a pure incest extravaganza. It's like royalty plus incest. Exactly. Yeah, I'm like, like, I don't think any of that's going to gonna land for much longer. So it's also like watching something that feels like it's dated as you're watching it. And Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, so I, I'm like, yeah, this... Like, I went to see also Sister Act, um, the play musical over the weekend because I'm doing a lot of like going oh, to see musicals fun. as research for like what I'm creating. And mm-hmm. there was so much in that show that I was like... There's you could not get away with this. Like there's a the there's a whole song 
there's a character that sings a whole song about how he wants to kill this woman that he's been dating. And it's like a oh. long song where he talks about all the what? ways he wants. He's like this girl. He, it's like he, it's sung in the style of like a 60s Shabab Shabab love song or whatever. But he's like, I'm going to kill her and strangle her and da da da. And I was like, wow. Like, and, and when we were talking to the cast after, they're like, yeah, there's so much that they took out. Right. So it's like, oh, so the things that are not allowed to be in there are like certain race jokes and certain stuff like that. Like that's been edited out, but not the misogynist love song. Not the I want to (laughs) murder this woman I'm with. Because it's like such a crucial part of the story. You know, it's like that's a crucial part of sister. I had totally blocked that part of sister act one out that it was like she's hiding in the convent because some guy wants to kill her. I'm like, oh, "Oh." that's right. (laughs) Totally blocked. out. I was like, where's the Lauren Hill part? Where's the Lauren Hill part? Right, that's right, 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 right. too. But no, yeah. you're right. You're so right. yeah, she's on the run. But it's just it's to me that might be the total like top culture like meta theme. Is it so fascinating to me to see stuff where it's like this thing is going out of style, out of fashion, out mm-hmm. of out of something that's like even allowed to be part of our cultural cachet of things that we think are funny or you know mm-hmm. or could find entertaining. It it is that is changing. Who knows how, right? But like, yeah. but after, like, I'm like, this stuff has been like since Greek tragedy. This is what we have found amusing as humans, and yet something in this period of history is starting to shift it. Where we're like, you can't say that, right? Yeah. So we're watching. Interesting. Yeah, the last of all that. <laughs> yeah, it might be. That's weird to think about. It's weird I think about the. I mean, I do think about this all the time. The I, things I do that too. Are like, this is oh. Th- this might be the last time something like like handshakes. Exactly. Now when someone tries to shake my hand, I'm just like, no, I'm like, why would you ever over. try to do that to me? Do you care you about me? That. You dirty, 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 dirty person. You dirty boy. Um, yeah, exactly. I think about this. I mean, like so much of the content that we grew up with, I'm like, you would never show that to children now. No. And I'm yeah, no. so I'm like, we are in a period of rapid change. And even when it feels like things are hopeless, like so much is changing for the good. And so much is changing in ways that are going to create new challenges. Like what's funny if we can't joke about certain things? Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. I love, this. I all love right. you. All right. All right. I love you. I've got to go to bed. Yes. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World Why did you PC. say it like that? We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show. You can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredible thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are an iPhone person. Thanks. How to Survive the End of the World is produced and edited by the incomparable Zach Rosen, transcribed by Jess Pinkham and Sarah Rowan's Brain. Music for today's show comes from Tunde Ron and Mother Cyborg. <laughs> I see, like, I don't even know if we're allowed to do that. Any of the stuff we just did. All right, I think let's it's go. All fine. I don't think we offended anybody. I think as long as least... you punch up, right? Yeah, it's like as long as you're not. I don't think. I don't think anything we did would be considered offensive to anyone who could be offended by us. Right, because they're all sense. like our relatives. All right, so um... I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Hey y'all. So glad you made it this far. Keep going. We love y'all. Keep going. <laughs> OMG. Nighttime recording is a whole nother situation. <laughs> <laughs>